Wixom, your invisible force field. It's our only chance. Hey there, welcome to Marvel by the Month. My name's Brian Stratton. And I am Rob Milne. And we are winding down 2019 with a look at the Marvel comics that are cover dated August 1964. We're not sure exactly what our end of year plans are at this point. We have a couple more episodes to go, but... Mm-hmm. Both Christmas and New Year's Day are going to fall on Wednesdays, so uh, I don't know if we're going to do regular episodes or something special or something fun or what, but um, we'll get to something. We'll figure it out. Something will show up at some point. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, but uh, all these are problems that we'll solve at another time. Uh, We've got a bigger and more immediate problem that we need to solve. Uh, Noah Campbell has found his way back into the studio. Uh, (laughs) We have no security. (laughs) (laughs) We we really need to get a lock for the door. I was Uh, just in your home when you got home from work. (laughs) Uh, But Noah, you're our first three-time guest. Oh, it's an honor. This is uh, a three-peat. It's pretty great. Um, We are very happy to have you here. This is going to be a fun episode. Uh, It's always fun when you're sitting in the chair and uh, I can't wait to jump into the books. But first, we uh, we got to do our historical context. Um, So uh, these books, um, they're all cover dated uh, August 1964. So it was June 64 when they hit the stands. So let's talk a little bit about what was going on in the world in June 1964. Rob, you want to take us into the jungles of Vietnam? uh, So. On the 2nd of June, 1964, President Lyndon Baines Johnson called the White House press conference without advance notice and told reporters that the United States was, quote, bound by solemn commitments, end quote, to defend South Vietnam against communist encroachment and cited an October 25th, 1954 letter from U.S. President Eisenhower to South Vietnam President No Dinh Diem, pledging an American promise to protect the Vietnamese government. So he's basically saying 10 years ago, we said we would protect them. Yep. And now we're we're committed. Right. <laughs> but he did this with an, uh, just random press conference. Yeah. Which sounds very now. Yes, which does. And then literally three days later, we don't find out about this at the time, but we learned about it years later. Uh, Henry Cabot Lodge, who was the U.S. ambassador to South Vietnam, sent a cable to President Johnson, recommended that the United States not send more ground troops into South Vietnam to fight the Viet Cong. Such a step, he cautioned, would be, quote, a venture of unlimited possibilities, which could put us onto a slope along which we slide into a bottomless pit. (laughs) Um, That's a good plot for a comic. (laughs) (laughs) It was not literally a bottomless pit. Yeah. Also, that would get boring at some point. Yeah, as they keep sliding, you know. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Johnson is he's full speed ahead on um, escalating in Vietnam. Um, and a lot of people around him are very quietly saying that's a terrible idea, Mr. President. Like the ambassador to Vietnam. Like the ambassador to wow, Vietnam. Wow, that's so now. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I can jump us into civil rights Yeah, now. let's do it. On June 10th, the U.S. Senate voted 71 to 29 for a cloture to end what's that word brian uh it means to end uh debates on okay. a bill so it ended the longest filibuster in senate history which was 75 days after long opposition speeches by opponents of the civil rights act of 1964 u.s senator robert c bird of west virginia had completed the last of the filibuster speeches at 9:51 a.m uh 14 hours and 13 minutes after he had started at 7:38 the previous evening Good job, man. Yeah. Filibuster that. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, you had uh, 
a bunch of uh, senators uh, who were opposed to the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and you can probably guess many of the states where they hailed from. Um, it, they filibustered for uh, 75 days, uh, basically, to keep this thing from passing. Finally, they really uh, had nothing left to uh, to fall back on. Um, the Senate voted for closure, um, and then that meant that uh, the bill had to go to a vote. Nine days later, um, it would wind up passing. On the 19th of June, 1964, the 1964 Civil Rights Act was approved by the United States Senate by a vote of 73 to 27. All of the votes against the bill came from the same U.S. senators who had voted no in the 71-29 approval against ending the filibuster against the bill, including Republican presidential candidate Barry Goldwater of Arizona. So, um, Who yeah. sounded, as I recall in the last uh, podcast, crazier than anyone when in his bid he was talking about nuking the rainforest in vietnam yes so we could see who we were fighting yes <laughs> that, he, he did he didn't win um uh, on the 13th of june the first 300 volunteers for the freedom summer project uh to register african americans to vote in mississippi arrived at the campus of the western college for women in oxford ohio yeah that was that was a Good thing. It was a great thing. Yeah. So you got, you know, the, the Civil Rights Act has just passed. Um, and now you've got not just local folks organizing to make their voices heard, but you've got progressive advocates from all over the country, you know, coming to Mississippi to uh, register black folks to vote um, and make sure that they would be able to participate um, now that their right to vote was guaranteed by the Civil Rights Act. But yeah. But on the 21st, um, the kidnapping and murder of three civil rights activists, Michael Schwerner, 24, and Andrew Goodman, 20, both white New Yorkers, and James Cheney, 21, a black local resident, took place near Philadelphia, Mississippi. The three had left to investigate the burning of a local church and failed to return that afternoon. After investigating the burning of the Mount Zion Methodist Church, the three were arrested by Deputy Sheriff Cecil Price and taken to jail. They were released at 1030 that night and allowed to drive back toward Meridian under a police escort, then guided to a side road where all three were shot by Alton Wayne Roberts and James Jordan under the direction of Deputy Price. The three were buried in an earthen dam. Their bodies would remain undiscovered until August 4th. Yeah. So. So that's uh, that's what everyone was up against. Um, we've got you know legislative victories that are taking place, you know, the times are changing, but, you know, you've got incredibly corrupt institutions uh, and people who are willing to go to tremendous lengths to not let that take root. Mm -hmm. um, so and this is a major national story. This is like uh, the Birmingham church bombing. Like this is something that made headlines, you know, especially once the bodies were found uh, in August. Um, so this is definitely something that, you know, everyone who's working on these comics is aware of. Uh, these things wind up getting, you know worked into the stories, um, as we mentioned many times before. Um, Rob, uh, let's jump to the Beatles. Uh, give me some good news here, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, last month, the whole month uh, of May, the Beatles were on holiday. Uh, I think on the 2nd of June, they released A Hard Day's Night. Um, but uh, on the 4th, the Beatles began their first and only world concert tour, starting with a performance at the Tivoli Gardens in Copenhagen and a second concert two days later at a concert hall in the village of Blocker, Netherlands, uh, followed by visits to Hong Kong, Australia and New Zealand. Because drummer Ringo Starr was hospitalized for acute tonsillitis, 
Jimmy Nickel took his place for the first eight shows on the tour. So so their their first and only world concert tour uh, didn't have Ringo on the first eight dates. (laughs) Um, On the 14th, more than 100 fans of the Beatles required hospital treatment for their injuries when 250,000 people turned out at Melbourne to welcome the British group to its first visit to Australia. So a quarter of a million people show up at the airport. Yep. That's how Australia says hi. Uh, And then this is the cool part about a hard day's night. Um, Actually, the recording finished on June 2nd. They released the album on the 26th of June. Uh, It would stay on the charts for 51 weeks. And during April and May, 60% of all singles being sold in the U.S. were the Beatles. Yeah. Of, Of all recording artists in the world. What was being sold in the U.S. sixty percent Beatles. That was pretty impressive. That is nice job, boys. <laughs> um, well, uh, they were not the only uh, British band who had come over uh, across the pond on uh, June sixth, nineteen sixty four. The Rolling Stones were introduced to the American public in a pre-recorded segment of the ABC television show The Hollywood Palace. Although they had been flown to Los Angeles for the taping and played three songs, the only part that was televised was a 45-second segment of I Just Want to Make Love to You. <laughs> and host Dean Martin made derogatory remarks about the Stones, including their hair is not long, it's just smaller foreheads and higher eyebrows. Uh-huh. Elsewhere in the world on the 12th of June, uh, Nelson Mandela and seven co-defendants uh, were sentenced to life imprisonment for their efforts to sabotage South Africa's apartheid government. Mandela would not be released until 1990, and he would later be elected as the first black president of South Africa. So, you know, um, bad in the short term. Turns out okay for him. (laughs) Yeah. um, And for South Africa. Um, And then finally, on the 17th of June, uh, California's Motor Vehicle Pollution Control Board forced automobile manufacturers to comply with the state's new regulations requiring motor vehicles to include a catalytic converter or another type of vehicle emissions control device. Uh, this is a few days after a spokesman for the U.S. Automobile Manufacturers Association said that GM, Ford, and Chrysler would not be able to include the technology for at least two years. Uh, so California basically said, um, that's fine. We're going to certify four devices from other vendors, uh, and you can just install them in your cars. Uh, and then the automakers, uh, they backed down. And they said... Um, they will create their own device within a year and have that (laughs) installed. So this is like the beginning of California sort of going it alone on environmental regulation and Mm -hmm. uh, just kind of like forcing, you know, better emissions control and fuel efficiency standards that automakers basically wound up having to include for every car they sold because a lot of people in California buy cars. And And that's like what a quarter of the population of the U S it's an incredible amount of people. Yeah. So. And and they still continue to do that. They're the ones pushing for, you know, electric or hybrid vehicles. They're the ones who continue to push for lower emissions or no emissions. Yep. So there you go. Um, that's what's going on uh, in June 64. So let's go ahead, uh, take our first break. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we are going to torture Rob with Marvel by the Minute, <laughs> which is always a good time for everyone except Rob. Yep. <laughs> back to marvel by the month it's time for marvel by the minute if you've been listening to the podcast you know that marvel published way too many comics each month for us to be able to talk about all of them in depth um so we're going to go deep on three of them later this episode everything else winds up in this little bit of psychological torture we call marvel by the minute <laughs> uh we give rob 60 seconds to summarize each issue and then we move on to the next one and noah if you're feeling charitable feel <laughs> free to jump in 
and uh, try to help Rob, but, uh, you know, don't feel obligated. It's fun <laughs> to watch him flounder, too. <laughs> so uh, I think the uh, first uh, issue we're going to talk about is Amazing Spider-Man number 15. The story is called Craven the Hunter. It's written by Stan Lee with art by Steve Ditko. Um, this story is Spider-Man versus Craven in his first appearance and sort of chameleon, although all he pretty much does is hang out in a smoking jacket, which <laughs> is pretty great. Um, yeah, so that sets up uh, what we're going to be talking about. I've got 60 seconds on the clock. Are you ready, Rob? Whatever. All right, let's go. Okay, so uh, Chameleon, uh, who, who's been defeated by Spider-Man, decides that he's going to enlist some help, and he uh, enlists Craven the Hunter, uh, Sergei Cravenoff, Krav- and he is uh, quite the sight. He's uh, wearing his leopard leggings um, and a vest that appears to be the head of a lion split open over his bare manly chest. He's handsome and powerful, rugged. Yeah, he's super rugged. Uh, and he's got some like giant teeth as a belt, uh, you know, on, on his belt. Uh, he's basically just looks like some insane guy who likes to run around in the jungle, which he is. Um, a bunch of animals get loose and on the docks where he's arriving and uh, Peter Parker's been sent there to take some pictures. Uh, Craven proves how powerful he is by getting them all uh, uh, before Spider-Man, before Peter Parker can even get into Spider-Man. Then they fight. Uh but uh, Spider-Man pulls some Batman stuff at the end and freaks Craven out. Oh <laughs> man, that was bad. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a sad. I I think I covered. I spent a lot of time on those leggings. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, they're worth it. Uh, it is quite it's, it's quite an outfit. Trying to describe yeah. Craven's vest is going to take you more you than a minute. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I wanted to point I out one thing my, about that. I spent that, my time on his outfit. Yeah, and I, that's okay. I got you. I got you. Uh, the the '60s uh, apparently hunting was very popular. Oh, because it was very cool. Yeah, he's uh, he's like a world renowned hunter, and everyone's talking about him. And, like, <laughs> there's like all these uh, groupies kind of that are hanging out to to see him. Yeah. And, well, it was uh, before we had started making everything extinct. So, you know, yeah, there was a bottomless uh, <laughs> supply of all a bottomless creatures. pit. <laughs> He's just beating the shit out of gorillas um, <laughs> on the docks in front of a crowd and yeah. just scooping up cobras with his bare hand. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, yeah. And it's I mean, there's not there's not much to the story other than the fact that Craven, as always in in first appearances of villains, gets the upper hand on Spidey the first time they meet. <laughs> And then Spidey figures out how to beat him at the end. Um, Fairly easily at the end, too. Yeah. Uh, He just terrifies him. Uh, He hunts him. He does. Yeah. Which is great. And the only other thing I wanted to mention is that um, this issue is also the first time that um, Aunt May's friend, Anna Watson, it's mentioned that she has a niece uh, who uh, Aunt May uh, is trying to uh, set Peter up with. I don't even know if they mention her by first name. Or just MJ. Yeah. No, just watson i think just anna watson's niece i think okay. that's who she's referred to as um so this kind of sets something up where this becomes a running gag for a while he you know. constantly either gets in trouble with somebody else he's dating yes or uh and misses dates with her so yeah. she's just like the the person you hear about yeah exactly okay well uh let's oh. see if you can uh redeem yourself in the next issue nope um <laughs> which one is it this will be avengers number seven uh the story is called their darkest hour it's written by stan lee with art by jack kirby inked by chick stone uh in this story we have uh avengers facing the new lineup of the masters of evil which is uh zemo 
the Executioner and the Enchantress. We saw Executioner and Enchantress in a couple issues ago in Journey into Mystery when they were um, trying to execute a plan against <laughs> Jane Foster. Oh, yeah. Not actually execute Jane Foster. <laughs> The comics code would like to make that very clear. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, we got another 60 seconds on the clock. Are let's, you ready for them? Let's ruin another comic. All right. Go for it. Okay. So uh, again, we start out with the uh, Avengers meeting <laughs> there. Uh, this time they, they are mad because in Iron Man, which we haven't covered yet, Tales of Suspense, uh, Tony Stark uh, decides to ditch out on them because he's uh, had it with trying to be Iron Man. So he doesn't show up for uh, a call to help. So they kick him out They or they suspend him for like a week. That's that's his punishment. <laughs> Time out. Uh, uh, meanwhile, in uh, Asgard, Enchantress and um, the Executioner get uh, they get kicked out because they are uh, they had made this attempt on Jane Foster. Odin wasn't pleased. They So they get sent to Midgard, good old Earth, for their punishment, which causes some problems when Zemo hooks up with them and then decides to make a new, more powerful Masters of Evil and attack the Avengers. The cool part is Enchantress makes Thor think that the event, all the rest of the Avengers are evil and he goes off fighting them. So then it gets into a big tangle. Then there's a story about Balder in the back that I can't even talk about. All right. Is a little better, a little better. That was better. I started and, and, to sweat. Uh, yeah. The uh, the Balder story is not in this issue. Oh, this, this is in Thor. This is Avengers. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm talking about Thor, so never right. mind. Yeah. This is the, my normal uh, fun screw ups. Yeah. Aren't they jolly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I hope you like uh, this Zemo Enchantress Executioner team because like in literally six of the next 10 issues of Avengers, this is who they fight. So <laughs> Man. they just kind of get stuck in this groove. Um, and uh, yeah, so there you go. Okay. Uh, let's go back to 1940 um, and talk about Sergeant Fury. Number nine. This story is called mission colon capture Adolf Hitler. <laughs> uh, it's written by Stan Lee with art by Dick Ayers this time, not Jack Kirby inked by George Bell. Um, and that title just about says it all. Um, Luckily. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you don't even need to use the other 59 seconds <laughs> of this, but uh, we've got 60 seconds on the clock. You just let me know when you're ready to go. Uh, well, let's just do it. Why all not? right. Go for it. All right. So uh, the <laughs> the the howlers get sent on this mission um, to actually capture Hitler. They have to go in, get undercover. They have some people in in uh wherever they're at to to like sort of get into a big speech and try to get to him but baron strucker is there or mr strucker i don't know if he's baron yet <laughs> just call uh, him Harris strucker you're Harris, safe yeah. Harris strucker and recognizes nick fury from their fight uh so then it becomes of course goes wrong like everything else that happens with the howlers <laughs> and they have to improvise um by smashing a bunch of nazis yeah, yeah they smash a the lot of nazis plan. yeah uh then they eventually it managed to actually get Hitler and uh, they take him back to their, their camp uh, in, I think they're in England, uh, but it turns out it's a Hitler impersonator and yeah. there are a number of them, but this, so they think they've totally screwed it up. But the, the brass is like, now we know for sure that there's Hitler impersonators. Good job. All right. That was very complete. <laughs> Just some rants of an idiot. 
<laughs> plan goes bad smash a bunch of nazis catch the wrong hitler yep uh, uh, who wasn't a us? complete waste <laughs> who, who among us hasn't lived that story i caught the wrong hitler again. oh once again okay uh well now um now that you're starting to find your footing uh let's double up with a comic that has two stories in it this will be tales of suspense number 56 um so the first story is called the uncanny unicorn yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Stanley, art by Don Heck. It's Iron Man versus the Unicorn in his first appearance. Um, and then we have a backup story, The Watcher's Sacrifice, written by Larry Lieber, plotted by Stan Lee, with art by Larry Lieber, inked by George Bell. Um, it's a story about the Watcher. Um, that's all I'm going to give you. We've got 60 seconds on the clock. Okay. Are you ready to talk? About Iron Man versus Unicorn. I stand by my whatever. Okay, go. Okay, so uh, this is the story that I alluded to in Avengers. Tony Stark is super <laughs> having a total tantrum, upset that he can't live a normal life and decides he's going to stop being Iron Man and just be playboy genius Tony Stark um, and arranges some you know date with some starlet and t- takes off mm-hmm. uh then but at the the uh the unicorn this other like crimson dynamo armored with a dumb laser thing on his it's head the worst costume um, of any character it today. looks like a masters of the universe guy yeah he does man of yeah. war he yeah. uh he, he's wearing green and orange he shows up starts busting up the place and happy really gets into it with him that's mm-hmm. the cool part of this issue happy just keeps He's like, all right, yeah, he's super strong, but I'm back in there. Uh, <laughs> and he gets pretty messed up. Uh, eventually, uh, Tony Stark, of course, has to don the Iron Man armor and come back to to deal with the unicorn. Um, he. Oh, uh, I think the unicorn gets away. He does. The <laughs> unicorn gets away. Yes. Um, to return again and be dumb. Yeah. Such a stupid yeah, costume. He's like, it's, I am the unicorn. It's like, all right, dude. Yeah. It's such a bad costume. It, it like, no, I absolutely nailed it. It is like, it's like a rejected masters of the universe design. <laughs> yeah. He fires a beam from this thing on the top of his head. Uh, and that's pretty much, oh, and I guess he can fly too. I guess that's the other thing, um, which is kind of revealed toward the end, but, um, but he's not even really wearing armor. It's like no. this vesty thing with yeah. a dumb helmet attached to it. Yeah, uh, th- it seems like he could have been called some kind of cyclops or something to be cooler. Yeah, it's got yeah. one little. There's no. It's, it's not a horn. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's no horn. It's, I mean, not that he would, like about it would be cooler if he looked like. Right. A well, I mean, but he does make the rhino seem cooler, uh, yeah. which is right. like saying something. Yeah, yeah. He's, the rhino is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the Watcher story is not even really worth. Oh yeah, into, so <laughs> Watcher falls in love, can't be in love because he's a Watcher. All right, the that, end. That, that's it. Okay. Um. All right. All right. Uh. Well, let's. Uh. We'll grade on a curve. We'll give you a C on that one. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Uh. Tales <laughs> to Astonish number fifty-eight is your uh, next one. Oh, um. This uh has two stories in it. Um. First is called The Coming of dot 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 Colossus. <laughs> Written by Stan Lee, with art by Dick Ayers, inked by Paul Reinman. It's Giant Man and Wasp versus Colossus, but not the Colossus you're hoping for. Um, it is just a very tall guy, uh, not the armored X-Man. Bigger um, than Giant Man. Bigger than Giant Far Man. bigger, I'll crush you like a flea, he yep. says on the cover. Yeah, you know, he's going for it. Have you ever tried to crush a flea? It's very it's, difficult. Yeah, it's a, it's a stupid thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. uh, 
and then there's a uh, backup story, The Magician and the Maiden, uh, which is written by Larry Lieber, plotted by Stan Lee, art by Larry Lieber. And it's another Wasp solo adventure versus The Magician in like his third appearance in three months or something like that. So I don't recall that one at all. No, and I, I think I remember the first page of that. I think I was reading these as I was falling asleep. <laughs> I was yesterday. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So it, magician shows it back up again. And meanwhile, you know, Miracle Man is still waiting for his phone to ring and it's just never going to happen. <laughs> uh, OK, 60 seconds on the clock and go. OK, we start with Giant Man farting around with his helmet. He uh, he basically figured out a way or his mask to uh, change size without pills. Yep to Cameron, who wrote us that that. There you go, email. Cameron. Yep. Uh, so now he can change it by his mind somehow right uh and he can grow enormously tall uh but he's weaker so we point all this out right away then captain america shows up and says in bora boru or boru bora um <laughs> there's a reports of some giant colossus standing on this pillar mountain and demanding a sacrifice uh, so and he sounds like he's been there for a while but um so they jet uh wasp and giant man jet, jet off uh, giant man, they, they go through a lot to try to fight this guy in ant size and climb a hill in ant size for no reason. And, um, <laughs> as, usual. as usual, and then they, uh, he tries, he becomes very giant and very weak and, uh, but he somehow wins, which I don't recall. Yeah. I don't either. Honestly, uh, I think he knocks him off of the, he like trips him or something. Uh, the, he he punches him using the wasp. I just saw this panel. Oh, that's right. So the wasp has her, her air her wasp blasters yeah, yeah. gun, and it, he thinks there's punches some invisible in the force. Toe, or uh, I guess wasp stings him in the toe. Yeah, she tricks him. So mm -hmm. it starts to seem like he has these powers that the Colossus can't tell what they are. So and Colossus looks super dumb too. Yeah, yeah he, he does. Looks like an idiot. Yeah. Uh, to describe him really quick, I know mm -hmm. it's gonna take a sec, but uh, he's a. <laughs> A giant white dude with brown hair, um, horns that flesh are just colored flesh colored horns. horns. Yeah. Yep. He's wearing um, gold bracelets, a gold like tank top thing, and uh, gold leggings with some sandals. It, like, like it's sort of a Greek thing going on. Yeah. Uh, but he's got a big purple cape and a, a purple diaper skirt. He's whatever. got one of those like bicep bracelets. <laughs> doesn't look cool. such a good look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Very forgettable character. I'm not sure this guy ever shows up again. Um, and on, I'm, I'm trying now to remember the Wasp solo adventure at all. Like I wasn't kidding. I don't, she was in the store. All I remember, she was in the store and they had all these holiday fashions based on her. Um, this is the one where the, clothes, ma the so magician, like came, his whole plan was that he came up with the idea to have fashions based on her because he knew that she was going to show up because, like he was appealing to her feminine vanity or something like that. Right. And then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so convoluted. The only thing that's that. So the other nugget from the first one, also giant man can change the wasp size by thinking it. Right. Cause he, God but forbid you should give her any her agency own. over yeah. her own powers. It's but, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so he was using gas last time I read it. He had pills. Oh yeah, he yeah. went from now he is gas. He went from gas to pills, and now he just does it with brain power. When he fought that beetle. Yeah, yeah, the, the scarlet beetle. Yeah, which I 
is just better and better as time's gone on. <laughs> that's Tales to Astonish number 39. It yeah. just ages like a fine wine. Look at you with the references. Good yeah, well, it's right in front of me. <laughs> You're like a little caption box and an asterisk. That's great. Uh, the only thing about the Wasp's solo tale is it's it's the second time we start to hear this um, thing about fashion and right. Janet Van Dyne, which right, is right, a big right. deal later. Yeah. So it's something. Okay. That gives her a little bit of something. Um, okay. Uh, we're still not done. Oh, God. You got one last issue to go. Uh, it's Daredevil number three. Uh, this story is called The Owl, Ominous Overlord of Crime, written by Stan Lee, with art by Joe Orlando, inked by Vince Coletta. And uh, this is Daredevil versus The Owl in his first appearance. You have 60 seconds on the clock and go. Okay, so The Owl uh, shows up in New York to become a big you know crime boss he wears like a jack the ripper green outfit like the, the i don't know what you call those coats um trench so, coat sort of yeah it's Ish. like a shortish trench coat it's got a little red tie um he's uh he gets caught doing something and needs a lawyer uh so he picks murdoch out of the uh, uh out of the yellow pages um he so Murdoch's representing him, but he knows he's doing stuff wrong. I can't really remember this at all. I'm just <laughs> uh, weird thing. Al has like a giant owl shaped palace in the hills of New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and people haven't noticed it. Uh, there's some wrestlers and gorillas. I don't even know what happens in this thing, but uh, the owl does, I think, end up escaping Daredevil, who gets captured by him for quite some time. Yes. That's that's as good as yeah, I can do. That was the worst. <laughs> yeah, uh, Owl, he is one of those. If I didn't know better, I would have thought he was a one and done character because he's so uninspiring uh, in this story. He has he does have uh, a vague superpower of he can kind of glide. That's sort of his ability. Right. Um, right. I remember him doing that. Now. Yeah. Um, but also, like you said, he does live in a giant uh, house like shaped like an owl head. And I think it's, I, I think that's a really underrated thing when it, when a supervillain lives in a lair that is a replica of their head, you sort of made it. I think. Yeah, like I think so. Too. Or some, yeah, 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 I don't think yeah. you should even bother with crime at that point. No, you should just kick back. And, yeah, exactly. You know, make documentaries or something. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's not like a volcano that's shaped like <laughs> true it's, or an island. A that's a skull, he, but yeah, it's a likes, pretty big house. He likes being convenient to the city. His ter outfits, terrible. The red tie that Rob was talking about. It's not, uh, it's like a, it's uh, like a neckerchief. It's like, like a Colonel like a, Sanders, like a tie. cravat yeah. or something <laughs> or yeah. it's somewhere between a cravat and a Colonel Sanders floppy bow tie. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a bad look and he's, and he's not a, good shape he wears like penny loafers too like yeah. just not cool oh boy yeah all right well um uh, well now we can take let's now we're out of the yeah. stupid psychological torture for me yeah and we can get into the nitty-gritty and get some more of noah's insights into these other comics <laughs> i think that sounds great so let's go ahead and take a break and we'll be back in just a little bit and talk about strange tales number 123 on marvel by the month <laughs> Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. We're going to talk about Strange Tales number 123. There's two stories in this issue. Uh, and the first is called The Birth of the Beetle. It's written by Stan Lee with art by Carl Burgos with Dick Ayers inking him. Um, and this first page has a couple of exciting bits of information. 
Um, one of the very first captions at the top of the page, which they put in just for Rob, uh, it says, and we don't mean the British singing sensations. <laughs> oh, uh, it's just, spelled differently. Just to clarify. And then they also mention in the credits box, uh, it's illustrated by Carol Burgos, uh, who was the first to draw the torch way back in the golden age of comics. So uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about who this guy was and uh, what wound up happening with him. Uh, Carol Burgos was uh, the writer and illustrator on the very first Human Torch story in Marvel Comics number one uh, from 1939. Um, that was a different Human Torch than the one from the Fantastic the, Four. The old Android one, yeah. Right, yeah. But I mean, basically, same powers, same kind of character. Um, uh, after World War II, uh, Burgos was a staff artist for Timely Comics. Uh, he illustrated a very short-lived 1950s attempt uh, to revive Timely's Golden Age characters. So they tried to bring back uh, like Captain America, Namor, Human Torch, uh, those kind of characters um, for a uh, sort of a superhero universe. It did not take off. Uh, <laughs> they went back in the can um, and uh, they wouldn't do superheroes again until Fantastic Four, number one. Um, uh, once um, Timely wound up changing uh, its branding to Marvel Comics, uh, Burgos was pretty much out of the picture. Um and uh, there's a reason for that. Um, so according to Marvel's uh, colorist in the early 60s, Stan Goldberg, uh, he said, Carl and Stan never really got along because their personalities clashed. When Atlas became Marvel, Carl never really got back into the company or really into comics either. After this issue, in the mid-1960s, he wound up filing a lawsuit against Marvel Comics over ownership of the Human Torch. His daughter, uh, Susan Burgos, said it in an interview I know he had a lawsuit against Marvel Comics. I do know that he went to see a lawyer. I assume it was about getting the rights to the Human Torch, and I read that they settled out of court. I'm sure that's what happened the day he threw all of his Golden Age comics away in 1966. Oh. I have no idea how it was settled or even if it went to court, though I don't think it did. Um, and then uh, after he had left Marvel um, and around the same time in 1966, uh, Burgos had created a very short-lived character, called Captain Marvel um, because Fawcett Comics, who did the original Captain Marvel, who was like the one that the Shazam, Shazam movie is yeah. based on. Um, uh, they lost their copyright to Captain Marvel. So uh, Burgos tried to jump in there, create this Captain Marvel character. Marvel Comics quickly issued a cease and desist. <laughs> um, and uh, Burgos last comics art ever uh, was the cover of his uh, fourth issue of his Captain Marvel from that year. So, that was the end of him as a comic book artist. I don't I'm I'm very curious about what that Captain Marvel is now after I, yeah. all the other Captain Marvels that yeah, are out there. Yeah. Uh it, it makes me think if we had Douglas Walker Joe Keating here, they would like yeah. go off on a twenty five minute tangent about who this was exactly. Next time they're here, we'll say yeah. discuss. Or no all if, Captain if Marvel. If you just want to make up some stuff, that's fine too. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, so it, I don't know, like it, it's kind of a sad story um jack kirby has a famous quote uh, comics will break your heart kid um and this is just like you know one more example of that i i am not really familiar with burgos uh and in, in his life story but you know from the little bit of research i did in preparation for this episode doesn't sound like he was terribly happy in the comics field and other than creating the human torch he really didn't do anything else that was that uh notable uh, it did not really you know survive him marvel in recent years has certainly been very upfront about paying tribute to the creators who helped them get there and mm -hmm. have not heard this guy's name mentioned very much. So <laughs> yeah. probably a reason for that. 
All right, Rob, uh, I'm okay. sick of talking. So why don't you uh, set us up and let us know what's going on uh, in the birth of the beetle? Okay, uh, so we start out with the Thing and the Human Torch uh, taking their ladies, Alicia Masters and Doris Evans, to the 1964 World's Fair, <laughs> and they're flying in the Fantastic Car. Um, they're observed uh, uh, by a frustrated inventor named Abner Jenkins, and who's ma- manufacturing himself a supervillain suit of armor. Um, <laughs> and it, it's it's a pretty sweet. This is probably the best villain of <laughs> of the batch this this oh, month. Definitely, and he's got all the motivations of my favorite types. Uh, where it's just like. <laughs> I would, I could be such a good villain, you know, like they, they've got all this potential and there's like, uh, you know, thinking about, I could steal, you know, rob any convenience store, that type of thing. Yep. <laughs> That's their, you know, any of these guys are, they're geniuses. Yeah. They're genius level inventors. They and, could uh, change the world yeah. with their thinking. And but it's they like, just... I could steal a vape, like a, or a safe, you know, from a, from a high rise or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dream big, dude. Yeah, I mean, I do understand dreaming about committing crimes. I did spend the, my youth doing stuff like that, but I, you know, took a turn. Yeah. Um. But also, if I had that kind of brains well, you, you and manufacturing a, yeah, you, technology, you were not a genius level inventor. Right. Yeah. No, it's not a genius level anything. <laughs> um, so, I, although I, I think genius might be uh, overstating things a little bit for the beetle. Uh, yeah, let's not get carried away. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> some of it might be dumb luck. He put the power source in his helmet uh, it, uh for power source for his whole armor in his helmet which seems like a bad idea right. from the get-go and he made his wings from stainless steel uh yep. and even says like that the suit doesn't work that great because of the way that the giant yeah. steel <laughs> wings uh he's got uh these weird gross suction finger gloves grippers. that he calls <laughs> beetle grippers yeah. yep <laughs> so he wasn't a inventive wordsmith but uh, <laughs> yeah uh, I just realized that this is the second time we've had you on to talk about a beetle. I know. And, villain. Uh, th- this might be uh, my favorite top two of this week. You know, what you missed <laughs> last, last week, though, you missed uh, they got Paste Pot Pete out of oh, jail no. so that he could help solve uh, this adhesive problem. God, I think about Paste Pot Pete all the time. Uh, <laughs> so the beetle, of course, goes on a crime spree. And it's up to the torch and the thing. He steals a cash register. That's, <laughs> right. uh, that's I, his first crime. Yeah, that's yeah. A classic. <laughs> that's move. the start of the spree <laughs> with his beetle grippers. Not not uh, the cash in the cash register, but just like the whole yeah. thing. And, <laughs> and they all notice like, oh, wow, he's lifting that heavy cash register. He must have some kind of abilities. Uh, and then the torch is worried about burning the money in the cash register. I've. I'm assuming that businesses were insured even in the 60s, right? <laughs> right. You would think. Even at a uh, fair so the, or whatever. There's like yeah. a guy running amok in a in a super-powered suit. He's trashing the place. And uh, the torch can't let him have it because he might damage the money. It's also the only thing that he's worried about burning because like a few panels later, he throws a fireball through a window to get Ben's attention. <laughs> 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 yeah, that does sort of... <laughs> He is not too worried when he's throwing fireballs around a crowd. Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought about throwing a Molotov cocktail in here when I got here, <laughs> just through your bay window. But I uh, decided to ring the doorbell. And right, say, I appreciate it. Yeah, that's less of a prank, I guess. Yeah. What okay. What are some of your favorite bits, Noah, of, <laughs> so of the, uh, the the Beatles uh, fight with the Thing and the Torch here? Uh, he throws a <laughs> yeah boiling soup at the Thing, and I didn't know that this that's was a convoluted his power, but series. The right Torch there. can actually pull heat 
from objects. Uh, His power changes every time we see him. So he yeah. cooled the soup down in the air. So that just cold uh, soup so, hit the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which um, the thing is made of rock. So I don't know. We're super worried about him getting burned by a hot soup. Yeah. Seems like maybe you don't need to be as concerned about that. But the beetle hides in the bushes and digs a hole in the ground just like a beetle would. <laughs> uh, uh, and hides in the hole and they're like he went in these bushes but we can't find him but for some reason the the dirt earth isn't right like, it's undisturbed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah he he digs with his shovel like his wings were his big steel wings work his shovels and he just burrows down like feet first yeah and then hides in the ground for hours right like till oh, they yeah. go away he really commits to the bit and he then he's Stealing more money. Oh, wait, uh, but then he he bursts out of the ground and when I'm oh, yeah, I like, won again. I won again. Yeah, and he looks like all that a win. Yeah, he's <laughs> he got chased around and had to hide in a hole for hours. This reminds me of something the way he looks in that frame, but he looks pathetic. Yeah, uh, he's also, covered in mud. Yeah, beetle grippers hanging out there. Ugh. Yeah, then he goes to the World's Fair. That's when it that's when he starts to commit it or continue what we would, I guess, call his spree. Uh-huh. And he steals cash. And once again, the the human torch can't, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he can't he's bring worried himself. about burning yeah. up the money. Uh, so he lets him get away, essentially. But he uh, opens the cash boxes and just rains cash on the crowd. To yeah. Cause a you know, distraction, which yep. is a pretty good idea. Yeah. That's that great. If you've got a whole bunch of bills, that's one way to do a distraction. Beetle, right. Hide, Beetle, Beetle hides again it. and uh, digs. Yeah. You're right. Uh, but it doesn't doesn't work this time. And I think this time they actually see that the ground is disturbed. Right. Uh, right. But the torch makes like a ring of fire that burrows down through the ground and then starts yeah. to stick. Like the torch has some crazy nuance I on thought, his flame. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, this, his power is pretty badass in this one. It can do, it can leave his body and do cool stuff. At, you know, right. Throwing fireballs and, with his mind somehow. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. And then the thing just grabs him. Yeah. And it, like holds that, him until the police show. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, hi, Buttercup. What's your hurry? It's time for fun and games. That's the thing. And he just grabs the beetle, and that's the end of that. Yeah. Uh, and then they, uh, they, you know, the beetle gets led away, and and the boys take the their girls to the world's fair, and and all's well. So. Oh, they do do one uh, total dickish thing in this one though. Um, <laughs> early in the comic, oh, they uh, get heckled. By they get guys, heckled right? at the at the world's fair. That's These right. guys are saying like. Uh, hey thing uh, i got news for you there's a big crime wave going on here someone stole a brand new bottle of ketchup think you can handle the case they're totally clowning on these guys and the thing obviously is pissed he just and, wants to yeah i mean he likes yeah. to rumble but um the, the torch is saying like oh you know they don't mean any harm they're just clowning around and then they they clown on him and he's immediately mad <laughs> even after he's like hey don't you know ignore those guys they're just messing with you man yeah yeah and yeah. then they just tell they say he's a wet nurse and uh then he he's going to like kill them basically yeah <laughs> and then at the end uh they kick the beetle's butt and these guys are like totally impressed by it sort of it seems like they're like you know felt bad almost right. and they're they, like and they want their autographs. yeah well you guys like, give us like they it's like you know they were wrong they shouldn't have been teasing those guys can we get your autograph and then these guys that our superheroes burn the dude's autograph book and break his fancy pen. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and basically there's like, you know, beat feet. They're total assholes to this guy. Yeah. Uh, and like, they're so thin skinned, total jackass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not cool, dude. Not cool. Yeah. So the beetle was a 
pretty wimpy dude, but I, I liked him. Uh, he was ambitious. Yes. He doesn't, he he doesn't look ever? dumb. Oh, he doesn't he, look yeah. as dumb as like Unicorn. Oh, he even succeeds in oh, yeah. uh, re- yeah. reinventing himself? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He he winds up, he, he fights the torch a bunch, and then I think he becomes an Iron Man villain for a while. I think so. Yeah. Which so. makes sense because he's sort of armored. Right. Yeah. So okay all right so there's your human tour story there's a, a second story in this the doctor strange story um so this one's called the challenge of loki it's written by stan lee with art by steve ditko inked by george bell thor sort of guest stars in this one um, and i like the fact that they put like on the very first page of the story it's like the mighty thor drawn in the somewhat different ditko style <laughs> which is in fact in fact it's so blame different we're trying to hide it from jolly jack kirby (laughs) which i think is not really a joke because right his dicko's version of thor is real i don't even know how to describe it it's it's cartoony yeah it's like uh it's it's it just looks super silly yeah Uh, and i don't know a better way to describe it but he looks like the equivalent of looking at a comic book version of a superhero like Batman and then seeing like Batman, the animated series. Right, right. Where it's just a very stylized, yeah. simple version. Yep. Oddly, because of how weirdly detailed Ditko can get. Yeah. But he drew Thor like he's on the the hostess, you know, fruit pie package. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this is uh, the story. Um, pretty straightforward story. Loki's still in prison in Asgard. Uh, so he uh, projects a spiritual image of himself. Uh, into Dr. Strange's house. He wants to get Strange's help stealing Thor's hammer. Um, And he uh, sings this song and dance for Dr. Strange, saying that Thor has deceived the human race and he plans to conquer humanity. Strange uh, casts a spell uh, and creates this giant armored hand to bring Thor's hammer to him. He uses uh, a little sliver of the thong of the hammer that Loki gives him. And he also can sense that Loki's probably full of crap, but yeah. he, he, uh, he's like, well, I'll see what happens next. And then <laughs> makes this glove that this weird glove that can grab the hammer and right. send it out. Yeah. Yep. It's bizarre. Yeah. So, uh, he, he snags the hammer with this thing. Um, it brings it back to Dr. Strange's house. Um, and then, uh, that's when, uh, he realizes that Loki, um, he was lying to him, which, again, he kind of suspected all along. Um, and so the two of them get into this crazy mystical battle, um, which is pretty good. It's uh, pretty cool. And uh, Doctor Strange is not impressed. Like, uh, he's, he's not worried that he's fighting a god. Right. Yeah, he's he like, says yeah. uh, he just doesn't like that Loki's evil. And then he's doing all his weird magic uh, <laughs> dancing. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me, too, is that loki and dr strange uh, run into each other a lot because dr strange over the years and decades he's interacting with the the weirder mystical things more often so uh and there's even a storyline in recent memory where uh loki basically tricks dr strange into giving him the mantle of sorcerer supreme (laughs) and dr strange is just a doctor he goes he's he goes and becomes a vet for a while all right (laughs) (laughs) so they have a long rich history which begins right here yeah strange does a little bit of illusion magic and then he uh winds up getting behind loki uh he cancels out the spell that stole thor's hammer um so the hammer returns to thor and then thor follows the mystic trail back to dr strange's house 
which as soon as Loki realizes what's happening, he freaks out. He cannot have Thor realize that he was trying to do something because that's just going to get him and going to break his parole. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Loki hightails it back to Asgard. Doctor Strange just kind of sees Thor fly by his window. And so that was the first sort of crossover between Doctor Strange and Thor, although <laughs> right. they never actually meet. But so. again, it's the second time. Maybe maybe the third time now that we're establishing Doctor Strange as part of the superhero universe. He's not right. like it, it, it seemed like he was maybe just going to be a one off. Those, you know, other stories that happen in these um, anthology sort of comics. All right. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and take another break. Uh, and when we come back, let's stay on this whole uh, Thor trip. Um, and we will talk about Journey into Mystery and the first appearance of the Grey Gargoyle uh, when we come back. <laughs> Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, it's time to talk about Journey into Mystery 107. Uh, it has two stories in it. Uh, the first story is called When the Gray Gargoyle Strikes. Uh, it's written by Stan Lee with art by Jack Kirby, inked by Chick Stone. Uh, and this is the first appearance of the Gray Gargoyle. I'd like this is another thing where you're like, it's the first appearance. Like mm -hmm. he, can, he comes back. Uh, it's, um, <laughs> so this story begins with Jane Foster accidentally revealing to Thor that she loves lame Dr. Blake, which makes Thor pretty giddy because he's lame Dr. Blake. Exactly. Inside. Yeah. Uh, and, and she does this in the context of uh, in, like the last issue. She thought Blake had betrayed Thor. Yeah. Blake had basically he was going to tell the uh, hide and Cobra where uh, Thor was right. And uh, sort of give him up. Right. And uh, so on, and I think that was on like television or something crazy. Right. So he looked like a big coward and, but she is apparently still in love with that lame, lame doctor. Yeah. So she's, she's mad at Blake. And then as Thor, he is also pretending to be mad at Blake <laughs> And then Jane's like, no, 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 don't hurt him. I love him. And Thor's like, oh, all right. And then he takes off really quickly. And then he's like doing loop de loops in the sky and like dropping flowers in a lady's lap and things like that. So he's shouting, uh, she loves me. People see him doing that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. He's, uh, he's, he's acting like a dang fool. Totally unselfconscious. Um, and then meanwhile, uh, at JFK, a transatlantic jet lands. And one single passenger disembarks. Uh, and we quickly learn that everyone else in the plane has been turned to stone. Uh, spooky. It yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, we learn that the passenger was Henri Duval, the gray gargoyle. Uh, he gained the power to transform himself to living stone and he can transform everyone else to regular stone. Uh, he had a lab accident uh, that granted him these powers in the lab accident is like this guy should not be in the lab no he really shouldn't first he's like there's something wrong with this mixture it's turned blue instead of red and then uh his boss or somebody's like duval have you finished that solution yet the institute director is waiting for the result and then he's uh he's mad yeah uh, he's like i gotta take orders from this lackey uh duval's meant for greater things and then he spills the potion on his hand just clumsily nothing so he's no one bumps him. Or... He's clearly not meant for better things. No. He can't even pour a po like right. a, a solution into or a wear test gloves tube. or wear gloves. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's he's a real asshole. Uh, it's just the guy's like, uh, you know, 
we're waiting for you to finish this. You mixed it all wrong. They don't even know that yet. And he pours all he pours a lot of it on himself. Yeah, and then yeah, he, then, yeah. yeah and then he he like he starts turning to stone. He's like, oh no. Uh, he touches his face. His face turns to stone. He touches his other hand first by accident. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, oh, no, my hand. Yep, then right. he touches his face. Right. It's With like me cutting uh, yeah. habanero peppers. Uh, anytime <laughs> I do that, I'm like, rub my nose, rub my eye, regret it for 30 minutes, and then go right back to rubbing my nose and my eyes. Straight uh, slapstick when it starts. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, so then he realizes, yeah, he can touch other people. He can turn them to stone for like 60 minutes at a time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, he is French, right? So he probably loves the physical comedy. That's oh, why he's, yeah, doing this. Exactly. he's doing this for us. He can turn people to stone for a limited time. That's the important part. Too. Right. He turns I, a jeweler to stone, steals all the jewels in the, in the shop. He does uh, at some point in his origin uh, figure out that he should wear gloves, uh, which somehow don't turn to stone. He has gloves that have the palm cut out. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> so right. He's got a little circle in the palm of his <laughs> That way, if he so needs he can to touch, people. Yeah, touch yeah. someone, he can. Yeah. That is the, it's the creepiest thing. Like, yeah. it is, I don't know what it is, but like fingerless gloves, I can live with, but cutting the palm out of a glove <laughs> yes, is the weirdest it's thing. It's like, there's something it's very like yeah. assless chaps. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot like that. Fingerless <laughs> gloves can be like, badass uh, yeah oh sure you yeah look cool uh, uh you can like operate a gun okay with but yeah no palms if you saw a guy with the palms cut off his gloves you'd steer well clear yeah not because <laughs> you thought he was gonna turn you to stone no yeah uh so uh he's come to new york uh because even though he can he can steal anything he wants uh it, it, there's no challenge in it he's coming to new york to find and defeat thor meanwhile thor has heard about the stone passengers uh from the plane on a radio um, and he goes to investigate. He finds out that a cabbie uh, who gave Duvall a ride has been turned to stone. So Thor tells them to bring the stoned cabbie <laughs> to lame Dr. Blake's office so that he can check him out. Um, and this is when Blake discovers that the stone effect only lasts for one hour. Yeah, I was waiting for you to say something like stoned cabbie. So why uh, does he he says I believe he will turn back to normal in a matter of minutes. Obviously, an hour is just about he's gone a, by. He's a doctor. But you'd think that he would discover that a minute later when he... <laughs> but instead, he's like, I have a feeling. Yeah. All right. Well, well I guess he's a god. Well, he says, uh, he says his condition now is similar to a man who's been in uh, a deep freeze and is starting to thaw right. out. So... So he must see some vitals or something. Right. Yeah. And he's seen Captain America, who was a man who was in a deep freeze and started to thaw out <laughs> in front of him. So, you know, there's a precedent. Yeah. yeah. No prize. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then the gray gargoyle shows up at lame Dr. Blake's office. He has clambered up the side of the building <laughs> quite laboriously. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like a gargoyle. Just like <laughs> yeah. crunching into the brick with every <laughs> step. Uh, I just imagine that takes like, it took him like two hours right. or something to climb the building. <laughs> um, Blake runs from the gargoyle and turns into Thor and then it's on. Yep. They fight and the gargoyle turns Thor to stone while Thor is trying to recover his hammer. Um, but So Stone Thor topples over and when his hammer hits the ground, he turns back to the non-stoned lame Dr. Blake. Right. They're going way out of their way to make us think that Dr. Blake is actually a useful character, um, <laughs> right. which I'm still not sold on that. But nope, we've read a lot of these. Yep. Now Blake's in a situation where he has to find a way to defeat the gargoyle by himself, because if he turns back into Thor, he'll just be stone again. So 
Um, what he does is he borrows a 3D projector from Tony Stark and he attaches it to the front of a motorcycle and he drives around uh, projecting an image of Thor in front of him. Uh, like, like a hologram. Right, That's like a hologram of yeah. Thor flying. The gargoyle's like, wait, what? I thought I took Thor out. Uh, so he goes to investigate uh, and then Blake uh, tricks the gargoyle into following him uh, and Blake drives his motorcycle off of a pier it's pretty cool. Which for is lame, that's the coolest thing lame Dr. Blake has ever done. Yes. Yeah. He jumps the motorcycle into the the river. Yep. And then uh, the gray gargoyle sinks to the bottom of the Hudson. Yeah. Which is yeah, pretty cool. I, yeah. I, I thought that was a, a clever <laughs> trick. Yeah. And Blake is really cold blooded about it, too. Uh, he, he gets himself out of the river and, you know, climbs back up onto oh, the pier. Yeah. And he says the gray gargoyle finally found the immortality he wanted. At the bottom of the sea. Yeah, which wow, uh, wow. I was laughing about that because uh, I don't know if you've seen the Wes Craven's Wishmaster uh, movie. But, oh, not um, for years. Yeah, but uh, not, the not Wishmaster lately. grants your wish, right? But there's always like a, a, a catch. Mm -hmm. He's like, wouldn't you like to be rich? And they're like, yeah, I would. He's like, at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I saw it. And uh, so, yeah, then they're in like a box filled with money at the bottom of the ocean. Like, it's pretty cheap. Too. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I don't think that contract would hold up. <laughs> in the movie, it did. Yeah. Anyway, th this story, uh, it ends with uh, Thor coming back to Blake's office and Jane Foster uh, tells him all about how lame Dr. Blake saved the day. Um, so this does two things. It gets first Blake out of the hot water that he was in uh, at the end of the last issue with Jane when she thought he had betrayed Thor. And now Jane also has a plausible reason to believe that Thor is no longer mad at Blake. So secret identity status quo restored. At the very least, there's just less pressure on lame Dr. Blake. Yeah. To keep up this ridiculous ruse then so we get the bonus episode we get the bonus episode of the tales of asgard balder must die written by stan lee with art by jack kirby inked by vince coletta uh so this is another one of those uh, tales of asgard backup stories short story um like last issue it features balder uh so last issue we saw balder get granted immortality by odin uh odin, because he cared so much about the little creatures of nature exactly right and he faced his execution with no fear and yeah, so multiple execution attempts yep fearless and odin was just like haha i just tricked you we weren't really gonna kill you now you're immortal classic um, god move yep uh, <laughs> and uh yeah so so uh, what odin did was he he had uh every living thing pledge uh to not harm balder uh in any way so uh so no living thing will harm balder now uh, in fact they would protect him exactly yeah. and loki uh is pretty jealous of this he's he's a jealous guy um, and he is looking for uh, a loophole in this. <laughs> he goes to the Norn Queen. She does know that there is a vulnerability to Balder. Um, she reveals that when Odin made every living thing pledge, uh, Mistletoe didn't uh, chime in. So <laughs> Mistletoe was like, nah, you know, I'm not going to answer that one. Yeah. It seems totally dumb. What's up with Mistletoe? <laughs> what is mis what, Mistletoe, what's Mistletoe's problem? He just ghosts every text he gets. <laughs> did, yeah. Did he just forget? To, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mistletoe. I thought she was like a witch or something, but she, she's not she... like evil because uh, he's like a, uh, she says, look, the evil one be gone. She doesn't like that Loki showed up and he's like, silence, female. Your feelings are of no importance to the <laughs> son of Odin. Uh, and she says she's not going to serve Loki because uh, he's the embodiment of all that is evil, all that is sinister. 
So it seems like she's kind of like a just a neutral weird in the Norse mythology, they are sort of beyond the gods. They do their own thing. So they're they're like uh, I think they help like weave the webs of fate. Uh, so she's really like she a may not different be good, thing. but she's not a uh, sinister or evil. She's, she's not malevolent in the way that Loki can be. Uh, so, yeah, the, Loki crafts a blowgun with a poison mistletoe dart and he goes to use it. Uh, it erupts into flame. And this is because the Norn Queen made it burst into flame because like all living things, she pledged never to allow harm to come to Baldur. So through a loophole. Warm. Yep. Yep. She could tell him what could kill him, but couldn't help. Right. Yeah, exactly. Balder doesn't even know he was ever in danger. Um, And uh, And he is drawn like a a ditzy. He's so handsome. (laughs) He's very one of these. It's ridiculous. Uh, A lot of time was spent getting his face looking just very handsome. Yeah. Gorgeous. But um, (laughs) he seems like just blissfully unaware of every. I think the reason he wasn't scared that he was being executed is he's like big head from Silicon Valley or something. (laughs) He's just like completely oblivious to his surroundings. That's quite possible. He's Balder the Brave, not Balder the completely observant. There's your Asgardian uh, drama for the month. Um, We're going to go ahead and take another break. Uh, And we will talk about our final issue of the month uh, when we come back here on Marvel by the Month. Okay, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. We've got one issue left to go. It's Fantastic Four number 29, and it has one story in it. The story is called It Started on Yancey Street. It's written by Stan Lee with art by Jack Kirby, inked by Chick Stone. Uh, and let's just jump into it. Like the title says, the story opens on Yancey Street, where Ben Grimm is from. Um, and as per usual, uh, the locals are messing with the Fantastic Four, particularly Ben Grimm. <laughs> we got uh, th- uh, produce being thrown at Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, they dump a uh, trash filled garbage can on Ben's head. After um, he steps on gum, after which might have been a gum. plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you think that the gum was like a booby trap? Possibly. <laughs> it's Yancey Street, man. Trap those Yancey Streeters. <laughs> Blam, no good litter bugs. <laughs> yeah. okay. And they uh, they blast Sue with sneezing gas. <laughs> so uh, and Stay so, invisible. Yeah, yeah. so the, uh, the Fantastic Four are just totally being driven off of Yancey Street by all these pranks. But they fought like real villains. Oh, yeah, they, galactic they, level uh, villains. Yeah, they yeah. fought Doctor Doom like half a dozen times by this point. But Thing, uh stubs his toe on the curb and says, "This is a day that'll live in infamy." <laughs> <laughs> so we so we open with some some great slapstick. Uh, the Fantastic yeah. Four head back to the Baxter Building, uh, and then there's this kind of like weird interlude where Alicia and Ben almost break up because both of them think the other one shouldn't be wasting their time with them. It's a lot of low self-esteem in this relationship. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pathetic. Yeah. Uh, uh, but Ben gets another uh, box in the fan mail, which uh, blows up in his face. Yeah, uh, because there's uh, a there's a tiny little drone thing outside of the window uh, that sends a signal uh, to the box to blow up. Uh, when Ben picks it up. Yeah. Um, so that's our first uh, inkling that, hey, something's not quite right here. Yeah, it's a little it seems that drone thing seems a little more less Yancey Street than yeah. normal. Uh, but it does have a note and says come back to Yancey Street at midnight. Yep. So, of course, Ben is destroys a table and is yeah, an antique <laughs> table. It looks really fancy, too. He just rips it to shreds. Yep. And they're uh, 
they're telling him that he's going to need to replace that antique table, which I doubt is replaceable. <laughs> That's kind of the point of an antique. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and right when they get back to Yancey Street, it's like super powered apes. Yep. Uh, just <laughs> right away. Just, yeah. In the streets at night. Yeah. Uh, and it's a big old brawl. And it's, of course, the Red Ghost who is uh, who's brought his super apes and uh, they're they're doing all their. I totally forgot the super apes powers. Oh, yeah. The 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 baboon that can change shape. That yeah, one, that I was forgot. A... I was like, couldn't even figure out that what was happening in the story. For right. A couple right. Times. Yeah. There's that. There's the one that has like magnetic powers. I think there's one that's super strong. And then there's the ghost himself who can turn into. Right. The yeah, material. Is yeah. it three apes and the ghost? Yeah, because yeah, there's four of them. Well, yeah, so they, they take uh, the torch captive in this asbestos sack. Um, and then the ghost, uh, he, he reveals himself. He says uh, he's the one who lured them there, not the Yancey Streeters. And he threatens to kill Johnny if the Fantastic Four doesn't surrender and get into his spaceship. Um, so, you know, what are they going to do? They do it. Yep. So they get into the spaceship and they take off. And he flies them all the way to the moon. And then uh, this also, I think, is the first time on the uh, right in the middle of the story, page 11. I think it's the first time we That's see. Um, yeah. yeah uh, so Jack Kirby used to do these. Uh, they were basically collages, uh, like photo collage panels. Um, and he does them more and more often. Um, and I think he only does them in Fantastic Four. Or yeah, that I recall. Mostly in Fantastic Mixed Four. Mixed media thing. I was surprised when I turned to this. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's an interesting effect. It looks like there is the satellite spaceship thing looks like a it is a drawing, but yes. it's a funky style. And then, uh, yeah, then it's like looks like a collage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's treated everything in a much more realistic, suddenly super realistic way when you're throwing these. Uh, yeah. It also looks like a band flyer. <laughs> it yeah. really does. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a X, you know, a multi-generation uh, Xerox. It yeah. Looks like. Yeah. Kirby, wa Kirby cool. wants you to see his show this Friday night. <laughs> I love all his the door. tech, too. Uh, oh, the Kirby tech is great. Yeah. It's just cool looking. Yeah. Uh, None of it seems like it really makes any sense, but it's just. It's I love awesome. it. He There's has to think to really hard to draw all of these gadgets and bars and levers and things mm -hmm. and i i'm sure that at some point he sort of thinks about like well that door wouldn't close i'll change this right. and for the rest of humanity it's just like what in the hell how yeah. would that ever work yeah um yeah so it, it's uh so they, they they take a ride in a in the spaceship um they get to the moon um and then uh once they get to the moon uh reed says that the fantastic force promise of surrender no longer applies because they're not on earth anymore I don't recall it's like that a being weird a pinky swear thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like I cross my yeah. fingers. Or yeah. Also, why did why need be so honorable? Like <laughs> right. guys, like took your friend hostage. Said I'm going to kill him. It's right. Like just kick his ass. Don't like uh, <laughs> yeah. legally. Uh, you know we're no longer on earth. So. <laughs> and that that is the binding uh, place where our agreement. I, that is yeah. one of the great things too. And the heroes are fighting villains. They're always talking like tons to each other yes. about uh, why why you're not going to get away with this. Cause you'll like, I expected they, you to try that. Yeah, and they now explain I'm going to do all this. the stuff, yeah. which, yeah. you know, makes them vulnerable on this page. Uh, when they warn that the orangutan or whichever, oh, the baboon can shape shift into right. almost anything. I cracked up 
when it shapeshift into a ball of iron spikes. <laughs> I, in my head, I was like, it can shapeshift into a chimpanzee or a, or a monkey. <laughs> right. Or, right. But no, Some it, organic it, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just a huge ball of spikes. That's probably like four feet wide. Yeah. Uh, like circum- and it, huge spikes. Yeah. And, and so the, the apes all, they hightail it out of there um, during this fight on the ship. Um, and then the red ghost just ejects the fantastic four onto the surface of the moon. The, ro- the entire room they're in is ejected from the ship. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he's just like, so long suckers. Uh, and he's at last I've had my revenge within seconds. They'll have perished from lack of air. Um, and that's where Sue, uh, starts to do some cool force field stuff. Like her force field is typically been a little more rigid yeah. when she's done it she she forms sort of a bubble that they can move around in that she can stretch it really big and yeah right. yeah and it, you know having everyone for sure die if you uh can't do this yeah probably it's like a, yeah, yeah like the mom can lift a car off their kid <laughs> with that adrenaline or something this, about yep. this is Sue's moment but yeah. but like thing digging through the rock as they yeah so that's she she's like extending this flexible field around him so he's tunneling under the surface of the moon uh, and they're trying to get to the blue area of the moon which they saw the last time they were there which is like this ancient city uh, abandoned city and they know it's got an atmosphere there if they can just get there they're going to be all set instead they wind up digging their way into the watcher's home uh, and he's not home so that's i guess lucky for them (laughs) i guess um Yeah. And so uh, Reed is kind of poking around um, and there's like a sort of a recorded <laughs> message of the watcher. And uh, he, he's, you know, kind of explaining some of the things that Reed is looking at. Uh, Reed accidentally like evolves himself 30,000 years into the future and then devolves himself really quickly. Um, he's just like looking at all this stuff. And then he finds this device uh, that allows him to pull the Red Ghost spaceship back down to the surface of the moon uh, where it crashes. And then. It's on again. <laughs> I mean, we can get into the moon fight, but uh, after this next moon fight, uh, Sue knocks the red ghost through a portal in the watcher's home. Yeah. Into nobody knows where he's like, could be another dimension. Could be the a few miles away. Is what yeah. It looks like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sue's not thinking this through. So she just sees like the red ghost pulls a gun on Reed and Sue's just like, nah, and just shoves him right through this portal. Uh, Reed, yeah. Reed says it's a matter transmitter. Right. And the, yeah. the red ghost could be anywhere in the universe or possibly another universe. <laughs> uh, so it's a, uh, that seems like the end of the red ghost. Yep. Probably never hear from him again. Mm-mm. Probably not. Uh, the super apes just bail. Yeah, they just take back. They <laughs> They're go- smart enough to drive their ship, so they get back in it, right? So, yeah, and uh, then so the FF is stranded on the surface of the moon, uh, which seems like it, you know, it's going to be a problem. But then the Watcher comes back, um, and he's sort of stern with them, but also like sort of their buddy. Um, and uh, he says he's he's got to send them back to where they're from, and so he transports them back to Yancey Street. <laughs> a nice little bit of you know circular. Uh, the book ends. Yeah. yeah. So uh, and they're I love so it. happy to be there. The uh, thing is uh, kissing the lamp post. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. I love that the the watchers deal though, like that's great boundaries. Like he shows up back at his house and he's like, You can't sleep on my couch. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, it's just the law of the watchers. Yeah. Like you I <laughs> gotta like, send you somewhere else. Through all yeah. my shit. You like looked in my drawers. <laughs> you gotta go. Uh, uh, he that's basically like he's saying, um, I'm you know normally wouldn't mess with you guys because uh i'm just a watcher i don't uh i'm not a doer but, or but whatever. you're not permitted to <laughs> yeah, stay in but my like, house i gotta yeah. have my privacy you guys are like seriously imposing and so 
he just kicks him out. I, I mean, when they're in post, so just jumping back a tiny bit, when, yeah, yeah. when Reed is messing, when he gets evolved like 30,000 years, yes. his head turns all weird. Um, he also is, there's this crazy Kirby thing. That's my it's like panel this, of the month. So don't talk okay. about it. We're going to take one final break. Uh, and then when we uh, come back, we're just going to wrap things up with panels of the month. So stay tuned. Okay, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. It is time for our panels of the month. Rob, what is your panel of the month this month? This month, well, one thing that's very important about it is I got my panel of the month in before you. Yes, you did. And I found out that it was yours too. It was. was, uh, In Avengers number seven, um, page 11 panel one it's it's uh the enchantress it's the mind inside the mind of thor as the enchantress has tricked thor into thinking that the avengers are all these evil villains yes and uh it's just a huge like two-thirds of the page panel of of all of them and there's a lot of purple showing up in their outfits because mm-hmm. they're villains and they all are making the most maniacal faces, but just yeah. the, the Iron Man in the foreground is he's like purple and gold instead of red and gold. And he's got claws and his his eye holes have like weird points on the top of them. And they just he it looks they all look insane. And it's like, uh, you know, there's much later. There's like these dark Avengers stories where Norman Osborn is running an Avengers team. This looks more evil than that by a long stretch. Yeah, it basically looks like a bad acid trip version of the Avengers, uh, right? Which Jack wouldn't have any context for that, um, but <laughs> but it is like this like distorted funhouse reflection uh, of you know of all of them. Like you know, their fingers are claws. They're giant man stomping buildings. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> real good, um, uh, and it's yeah, just like this this nightmarish vision uh, of an alternate Avengers. So um, yeah, really, really good stuff. It was absolutely going to be my panel of the month, but you snaked it from me, yes. uh, which I guess is fair. I've done it to you a couple times, maybe a couple four. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I had a very close second though. Um, and mine comes from fantastic four, number 29 page 16 panel seven. Um, so this is when uh, the fantastic four are in the watcher's house uh, Reed is checking out all the watchers gadgets. Um, and, uh, in the last panel of the page, Kirby just goes nuts and draws this absolutely <laughs> insanely weird, uh, thing. Like you, you literally have no idea what, it, it what looks even like this is green and orange and pink things are melting and swirling around each other in yeah. some bizarre way yeah. it's in, like, in a pillar. It's really organic. Uh, yeah. And, but you can tell it supposed to be technology uh it looks like a lava lamp with that's gone insane yeah (laughs) yeah and and it's just great like i love the fact so jack obviously just drew this absolutely crazy thing and stan just has to roll with it like he didn't tell him to draw this that's not the way that comic book writing worked in marvel comics so you know stan just gave jack the general plot of the issue jack lays everything out pencils and inks everything hands it back to Stan uh, and then Stan has to fill in the dialogue for all this stuff. So it's like Stan flat out just like throws his hands in the air and and he has the watcher saying from off panel. And even I do not know what that object is. (laughs) I found it in a remote galaxy and I have been studying it for centuries. (laughs) (laughs) 
after he sets up and explains like three things yeah. that are probably unfathomable. Yeah, he got to me. that panel. He's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't even make something up to describe what you just drew. It's like some really like <laughs> awesome game of improv they're playing. And uh, and Stan just had to tap out. He, did, he could not do the yes and. Yeah. It was, <laughs> uh, Noah, did you have uh, a I, panel of the month this month? I forgot you guys do that, but. I do um, every panel featuring Craven <laughs> uh, pretty much, but uh, there's a specific one related to what we were talking about earlier. Um, or Craven d- is doing pretty well against Spider-Man early on. And he uh, throws this net on Spider-Man and Craven's moving in on him. And uh, so he thinks to himself, I got one chance. They say a chain's only as strong as its weakest link in a net of this type. Uh, there must be at least one weak link. And so he's pulling and pushing. I must exert all the pressure I can against each section uh, until uh, I found it. One small section, which rifles back slightly under the tension, creating an opening. Now, by exerting maximum pressure at that very spot, I can make the opening large enough for me to roll out of. And then under it, it says, note, the sequence you have just the sequence you have just witnessed took place in its entirety within the incredible short span of three and one half seconds hmm. due to Spider-Man's combined powers of quick thinking and rapid action. <laughs> so it took it takes like three minutes to read yeah. his thoughts. I just made us go way over time by reading that. But that only happened in three and one half seconds. Yeah. It's like Stan was paying himself by the word or something. Yeah, but yeah. I will give him this credit, which is all these things that and granted i only read half of what goes on in his head right there there's the two panels above that where he's still like a net falling over me you know (laughs) Uh, but i I, he did a better job which is he's not he's He's actually thinking thinking this he's not saying it out loud Uh, although if he was saying it out loud i wouldn't be that surprised yeah (laughs) Uh, so i think i don't know if i've said this before but in in our household when I usually me, I, I talk a lot more than Barb. Right. Uh, I I will be near just telling her what I'm doing. Like, I'm going to leave. I'll be I'm, I got to get something out of the kitchen and I'll be back in a few minutes. And she's like, thanks, super friend, because of the old <laughs> super friend cartoon where they just announce everything. They announce else. everything they yeah. do. And, uh, and, and I see that more here, but, but Marvel's doing like at least thought balloons. Uh, That's like what my kid does all the time. Like living with you is like living with a six year old (laughs) is what I'm learning. here. Yep. Oh yes, it is. You've you've worked with me some, I have. you know, he also, this, another one that I thought was funny is after uh, Spidey escapes from that net immediately after, um, Craven is playing a giant drum, (laughs) just huge. Uh, And I don't know where it came from. He just had it on him. And uh, and it messes Spidey up. He's saying those drum beats so loud, so penetrating, yep. <laughs> going right into my brain. An old jungle trick to confuse the enemy. <laughs> A lot of questionable uh, jungle stuff. Uh, no, I just thought of yeah. something, though. I do possess the power of drumming. Yeah. So is I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. Maybe petty theft, some crimes. You oh, know? OK. Yeah, we A could drum themed costume. Let's do some crimes. All right. <laughs> Uh, on that note, <laughs> Noah, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Um, and uh, so this comes out uh, the week before Christmas. So uh, if we don't see you again before then, hope you have a happy whatever your holidays are mm-hmm. um, and, and the loveliest of New Year's. Like I said, I know we're going to be doing more episodes that are going to be coming out um, before the end of the year. I don't know exactly what they're going to look like. So no. we'll figure it out. 
keep in touch with us uh, over the holidays. Uh, we'll be posting stuff on Instagram at Marvel by the Month. Um, you can hit us up on our website, uh, marvelbythemonth.com, and email at marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Right. Please drop us a line. Give us oh, the, yeah. give us the gift of fan mail. Yeah, we've had we've had our one from Cameron. We did. Uh, we'd like more. Yep. Definitely. That one email. Yeah, we, we got a email. legit email Whoa. that said we were doing yeah. a good job. We've hit the big, big time. time in it. Yeah, <laughs> uh... and we read it on the air. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or whatever this is called. Yeah. 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 I mean, my my yeah. mom sends me reassuring notes, but that's not the same. So uh... yeah, mom doesn't. <laughs> Your mom sends me reassuring notes. Too, I, I, that wouldn't weird. surprise yeah. me. My mom loves all my friends and just she, <laughs> she's, she's always nice reminding person. me what a wonderful child I was. She says, You used to be so sweet. Used to be what happened? Yeah. It's, I don't know. <laughs> life happened, mom. Yeah. Thanks, mom. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Noah. Uh, Rob, as always, thank you. Yeah. Um, and uh, we will see you I guess, next week for something. Yeah. So. Let's just end on that. Thanks for listening, everybody.